Summer is upon us. That means it's time to get in shape. The Let's Run.com summer training program is back better than ever. Last year, someone signed up, got a full ride to college a few months later. Whether you're a high school or a college or an adult, we can get you in shape. And we're now offering it free of charge to all annual supporter club members. Sign up today, letsrun.com slash coaching. If you're already a VIP, just email us, coaching at letsrun.com, coaching at letsrun.com, and we'll get you your training program. Also, get your picks in in the NCAA Prediction Contest sponsored by On. Pick your top three, and you can win some cool On prizes. And hey, we'll throw in a letsrun.com shirt as well. It's pretty easy. You don't even have to know much about NCAAs. We've got a guide for you to do it. The Road to the Trials is sponsored by On and Let's Run.com. And so is our NCAA prediction contest. Get your picks in now. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of the Let'sRun.com Track Talk podcast, where the women's 10,000-meter world record has not been broken yet today. We have a ton to get to in this week's show, from Safan Hassan and Letasen Bet Gide, both smashing that world record on the same track, two days apart in Hengelo. We've got a recap of the insanely fast Ethiopian Olympic trials. There were world leaders in the 100 meters over the weekend by Trayvon Bromel and Shelly Ann Fraser-Price. Coaching legend John McDonnell has passed away at the age of 82. And we've got a full preview of a loaded NCAA Outdoor Track and Field Championships, which begin Wednesday night in Eugene at the brand new Haywood Field. We ask and answer the big questions. Is Mo Farah done? Is Jenny Simpson done? How many NCAA titles will Cole Harker win? We're going to get to all of that more. And finally, we've got a great interview in this week's show with Josh Kerr, who recently ran a U.S. outdoor all-comers record of 331.55 in the 1500 meters. We talked about why he didn't go to bed until 6 a.m. during the 2019 World Championships in Doha, how he's been disproving some stereotypes when it comes to quote-unquote bigger body types, his goal of Olympic gold in Tokyo, and he makes his NCAA 1500 meter prediction. So, Great show. This is Jonathan Galt. I'll be joined right now by my co-hosts, Robin and Weldon Johnson. Ro- guys, huge week in track and field this week. It sure was and is going to be an amazing week. And by the way, I love that Josh Kerr interview. He was really fun to talk to. And I, I got him to pull a Gwyn Jorgensen, folks. I mean, flat out says he wants that gold medal. I, I'm a ma- I can't wait until the British press hears this interview. They're probably going to be writing articles, you know, putting him in big, bold headlines. I'm sure the Josh Kerr interview was good. I actually wasn't in on it, but you're missing the big news of the week. We've been promising free on shoes to listener audio, but then we forgot to actually check our voicemail. And lo and behold, we checked the voicemail, and who do we have on the voicemail the day that Josh Kerr runs 331? Before his run, before he sets an all-comer record, who calls into the audio but fake Josh Kerr. You can't make this up. 
Let's play that audio. Boys, speak Josh Kerr here. I need a favor. You go again, Bruin off the team. Athlete special. 141 So there you have it. I'll translate for those who don't understand the Scottish accent. It's the fake Josh Kerr asking for Spencer Brown, who is YouTube sensation, the athlete special, to be kicked off the Brooks Beast. He's a 339 runner trying out for the team now, and I guess he's only run 344 and 151 this year. But the caller said 141. But he called back to give us a correction. Hey, boys, it's fake Josh Kerr again. I misspoke in my last message. I said 141, which really would be special, wouldn't it? But it wasn't. It was 151, which is no special at all. My granny could run that. Anyway, please, Will, Robert, key Danny a phone. Cheers, boys. Talk soon. Cheerio. Tremendous. Tremendous. And But what are the odds? We haven't had a fake athlete call in in like a year. We checked this thing, and I'm like, oh, that came after Josh Kerr ran. And I'm like, no, it's the morning of him running 331, setting an all-comers record. We love you, Let's Run Nation. We need to text this person and find out. I assume it's safe to say it's a he, who he is, and give him the on running shoes of his choice. So keep calling in, people. 1-844-LET'S-RUN is the number, option 7 We've got tons of on-running gear to give away for callers, for good posters, everybody else. Yeah, Weldon said we hadn't had a fake caller in a while, but that may not be true, Weldon. I realized the emails, the voicemails were being forwarded to an email address that I wasn't quite aware of. No, you don't say. I also had a call from April. I'm going to be playing that at the end of the show and give out some shoes to that person as well. They compliment us. It's a great clip. So that'll be at the very end of today's show. But again, 844-538-7786 if you want to reach us. I also want to know the identity. Well, I don't need to know the guy's identity. I just need to know his background because either that was an actual Scott or it was a very good fake Scottish accent because I was impressed with how uh, with how Scottish the guy sounded. Did you guys ask Josh Kerr if that was, maybe that was him really calling in, pretending to be the fake Josh Kerr? I think we broached the subject. I'm not sure if we did it on air, but uh, we didn't actually play in the audio. He didn't. I think I don't remember him confirming or denying, but uh, the guy sounds different from Josh Kerr, so I don't think it was him. Well, guys, I guess not much to really talk about in distance running. Everybody's just getting ready for the Olympic trials. Oh my gosh, this is just unbelievable. I guess it's last Sunday, Sifan Hassan, 29.06, gets the world 10,000 meter record. And then I think it's on our Monday call, John, you're telling us that you got a text from not Potato Tim, but Tim Roberry, the coach of Sifan Hassan, asking if you knew anything about a world record attempt at the Ethiopian trials. And we're like, what? And sure enough, it happened. 
Yeah, Tim Robry, you got to feel for that guy a little bit. He coaches his first world record, and you know this is this is the big story in the running world on Sunday, and then two days later, it's no longer the world record, and you know it's just madness. Fanta San twenty nine oh six. She took ten seconds off her off the world record, which is not an insignificant margin. Then her own record is broken by over five seconds by Latessa Mbekide on Tuesday as part of the Ethiopian Olympic trials, which, you know, that's another crazy thing we'll get to is all of these Ethiopian Olympic trials races use the wave-like technology. That's really how both, you know, Hassan and Gide, we already know they're monstrous talents, you know, they're all-time talents. But at the same time, they were obviously helped in their pursuit by this world record pace, the pace, the pacing lights, because Hassan, she just clicked it into 255 pace. She ran that until the final K, then ran 245. And that's the whole margin of the record was the 10 seconds that she ran in the final kilometer. Gide set hers a little slower. She ran this incredible negative split, 14.42 and then 14.18. But it was the same kind of thing. She was pretty consistent and then had it pick up a little bit towards the end. And then she closed really hard in the 63 to get the record. So phenomenal. But it also shows if you put these terrific athletes in these good situations with the pacing lights and with the super shoes, we're going to see world records broken and we're going to keep seeing world records broken. I, I don't agree with that take. John acts like you, you put the pacing light on it and it just automatically happens. It certainly didn't happen. Help Mo Farrell last week or Jenny Simpson. I know they weren't running with pacing lights, but th- these are unbelievable athletes. It's weird. P- people sort of criticize me for downplaying the Hobbs Kessler times and some of these NCAA times because of the super shoes, but I don't know. I, this these ten thousand times, yes, they're helped by technology, but I'm still blown away by it. Fourteen forty two, fourteen eighteen. She just broke the American record in the five thousand meters in the second half. So I was absolutely blown away by it. It was incredible to watch. I only wish they could have could have had a clock on the damn <laughs> broadcast. Yeah, that's crazy, right? That's the only they had a clock for pretty much the whole time. I was actually impressed that they were able to put out a broadcast. They had Jeff Whiteman, who's a great announcer, doing the call, and they had a clock for pretty much every race. But then for the one race where the clock was super important, the ten thousand meter world record attempt, it wasn't on the screen for the whole time. So that was a real pain. Also, Robert, I just want to fact check you. Mo Farah did have pacing lights in his race. He just wasn't able to to get the standard there. Oh, great. So then you're confirming my point even more. Well, I would just say this. Look, there have been record attempts that have been unsuccessful with the pacing lights. You know, Joshua Cheptegei had them in his 3K world record attempt earlier this year. But I would also say many of them have been successful. Gide and Cheptegei, they made it look pretty easy getting the world records last year in Valencia. Cheptegei had him when he got his 5K world record in Monaco. Hassan and Gide both used them to get the records in Hengelo, I look, I'm not saying anyone can just walk up. You have to be really, really good, obviously. But I think the point I'm trying to make here is if you have the ability to break the world record, it's going it's easier to do it now than it was 10 or 20 years ago. Whereas if you were in world record shape maybe 20 years ago, you'd need to have the right conditions, and the right conditions still matter, but you'd need to have a good pacer. You know, you'd need to be constantly monitoring, am I going too fast, too slow, listening to your coach? Now it's very easy. If you have that fitness, you look at the what lights and you just follow them. Yes. If you have that fitness, you can shut your brain off and just focus on st- staying even. Um, I thought it was interesting how much of a negative split they put that light, that light at though. 1442 
and that's unofficial. I spent actually half the race trying to figure out what her split was, and there was a delay between the two cameras. But, um, yeah, if you have that fitness, it makes it a lot easier. But I actually love the pacing lights. And I've always, uh, in my mind, in a world record, maybe we should say no rabbits, just pacing lights. I think it's a, it levels the playing field. In the past, it was, you know, if Alberto Salazar was willing to hire Galen Rupp a rabbit for eight or 9,000 meters and carry him to the American record, he might do it. But nowadays, it's not about how much money you have and how much you're going to pay other pacers. It's, you know, it's about your fitness because basically it's not that hard to get some sort of pacing light um, going. So were the pacing lights set at 1442? I feel like that's that's a little bit slow to go after the record. I'm just sort of surprised that they thought she could pick it up that much because she picks it up 24 seconds. That's two seconds a lap faster. I mean, that's a monumental difference. I mean, you're kicking for part of that, so it's not like she's running two seconds for most of the laps, but was she right on the pacing the first half and then the the lights picked up and she got ahead or like when did she leave the lights? I feel like she was a little bit behind the lights at halfway and the, I was looking at the bell. She was still, base, she was still either right behind the lights, like the blue lights were the world record, I believe. And it looked like as soon as she hit the bell, I didn't see the lights anymore. They might have turned them off. But I think she was still, you know, she still needed to kick. I think she needed a what a sixty-eight for the world record, which is below the average pace of a twenty-nine oh six. So she was still behind record pace entering the final lap, but she ran the 63 to get it. Yeah, 68 is like 2810 pace, 2820 pace. But incredible run. I mean, we almost had a woman go sub 29. I mean, both of these women absolutely could break 29 if they had set the pacing lights to that point. And I, I don't blame Hassan for having it at the previous world record. You know, getting a world record is the world record. I don't think she expected it would go get broken two days later. Well, I hope she gets her bonus. <laughs> Assume she does, but they might have a Nike's pretty good at those contracts, you know. If your record does not last seventy-two hours, we don't pay you. <laughs> and I, I want to turn to some domestic stuff at one point, but we we got to talk about some of these other races. I feel like at the Ethiopian trials because there were stellar performances, and also the way the trials were set up, nobody could double. Double, it was a one-day trial, so doubling wasn't possible. And if they're just going to honor the top three, I think, one, it limits people's chances for who could conceivably easily get, conceivably double golds. But also, I think it helps a bunch of American distance runners as well. Yeah, let's talk big picture here. I mean, the trials were very fast. Six world leaders and a couple new stars have emerged, but... To me, the biggest storyline may have been the no doubling. Like, this is idiotic. Ethiopia has done this in the past, right, John? They didn't allow the double. But why wouldn't you want Gede doubling in the 10 and the 5? Segei, Gudav Segei, the world record holder in the indoor 1500, is in the 5,000. Why wouldn't she run the 15-5 double? It's very doable. We said it's that hard. It's actually not that hard. You just have to run the 1500 prelim of the morning of the 5,000. Since it's a 5,000 final, since the 5,000 is a secondary event, she's got a 12-hour gap between the two. I think she could easily do that. She's probably not going to win the 5,000 gold anyways. So, you know, she's trying to maybe get a bronze there. And since she's going to have to go up against Kip again in the 1,500, 
You know, she might get two medals, but none, none of them gold. And then Getnet Wale. This was the world silver medalist in the steeplechase. This is the biggest story of the meet. He decides for some reason, even though he's in 6'6 shape, he's running 724 indoors, that he's going to go for the 5,000 instead of the steeplechase. So he runs a big PB, 1253, in the 5,000. I mean, what was his PB coming into that, John? Oh, it was like 1307, I think. But he remember, he almost broke the world record indoors for 3K. He ran 724, so it's not really a shock. He can also run 1253. Yeah, but there's absolutely no overlap between the steeple and the 5,000. And it's going to be a travesty if he doesn't isn't allowed to double. The steeples are on days one and four. The men's 5Ks are on days five and eight. No man has medaled in the steeple in another event since Kip Kano in 72 when he won the steeple gold in 1,500-meter silver. This guy has the talent to do it, and the steeple's so much easier because you don't have as many medal contenders. you know. And that was the other thing. you know. I started the thread after the meet. Which American, it was Evan Jager. I said, actually, it wasn't American, but which Western runner? Evan Jager, Shelby Houlihan, and Laura Muir benefited from these trials just the way they were set up. You're taking... Out Sagay theoretically from the 1500. You're taking Ethiopia had three sub 810 steeplers in 2019. None of them ran this race. Um, so I don't know. Maybe they're injured and whatnot. But I, I originally said it's got to be. I don't know. They 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 all of them got huge boosts to their metal hopes. But with a night to sleep on it, I actually said the biggest beneficiary of the 2000. 20 Olympic Ethiopian Ethiopian trials was none other than Paula Radcliffe. And it sounds like a hot take, and it kind of is. I'm going to be honest about that. But when she ran that 215-25 marathon, people are like, she has to be doping. That world record is too far out there. And what have we seen in the last three, four years? We've seen all the track times catch up to the marathon times, and if not, suppress them. It is kind of crazy, right, with that women's world record. I mean, Wang Jiangsha, remember going into the 2016 Olympics, I mean, that's clearly a doped world record, and everyone just viewed it as untouchable. I think a lot of people thought, and myself among them, I'm like, well, that's never getting broken. No one had run within 20 seconds of it. It had stood for 23 years. And then Almazayana goes out and runs 29-17 solo in the Olympic final in the morning. And we're just like, what the hell? Like, how is that possible? But then you sort of look, compare it to some of the other world records and the performance scores, and they're like, oh, okay, okay, maybe it's possible. And now we've got women running a sub-29, and, you know, I don't, I've seen a lot of people think, oh, well, Stefan Hassan used to be coached by Salazar, you know? Or these times, there's no testing in Ethiopia, it's the pandemic, these people all must be doped. I don't think that's, it means they're doping. I just think, like, with how good women's runners are right now and with the shoes and with the wave light, I, I do think it's possible for a woman to run sub 29 clean. Well, the young punks out there who can't believe that the world existed before the internet, that Wang Junior record, like it was before the internet, some meat in China. People speculated she ran a lap short. Like her splits were so off. Like she must've ran a lap short. The Chinese cheated the time or something. I mean, <laughs> But that was, what, 25 years ago. And now, Super Shoes, Wave Light, we're going under 29 soon. I should have done this at the start of the year. I wish I had done it. I don't know how we would do in a prediction contest. But, hey, what are the world records going to be in the distance races and, and somehow see who comes best? Because 
They may all be gone. I think the 800s are going to still be there. But that's probably it. Well, last year, I, I thought that... I thought going into 2021, obvious, honestly, that the window may have been closed temporarily because last year we saw these athletes make world record attempts because they didn't have an Olympics to prepare for. This year, I was, like, I was thinking, well, most of them are just going to be getting ready for the Olympics. There's not going to be time to chase the records. People aren't going to want to do that. And instead, we've seen two athletes do it, including one of them at the Olympic trials. But I want to go back to your point, Robert, about the doubling, because it's it's kind of crazy to me that Ethiopia wouldn't let these athletes double, especially look at some of their most, the greatest athletes in their history. Tiranesh Jababa doubled multiple times at World Olympics and won both events. Kennedy's Bekele doubled multiple times at the Olympics and Worlds and won both events or medaled in both events. So why you wouldn't let these superlative talents like Gide or Sagai or Wale do it is kind of beyond me. And it does bring up this point now, I've been told by multiple sources that Ethiopia, if you're top three in those trials that were held on Tuesday, you're on the team. But on the broadcast, Jeff Whiteman was essentially saying, well, it's kind of a fluid situation. And I also know with the capriciousness of the Ethiopian Federation, I don't know if anything's set in stone. One of the agents messaged me and he basically said, you know, under normal circumstances, the top three with the standard are going to go. But then again, it's Africa. And I think more specifically, it's Ethiopia. We, this is a country, you know, the handling of the Ethiopian Olympic marathon trials. It wasn't totally smooth there either. So I do think it's possible someone like Sagai or Wale or Gide can say, look, I just did this crazy performance in my off event at the Olympic trials you need to pit me in the 5K. Gide would say, look, I'm the world record holder in the 5K. You can't leave me off the team. Same with Sagai, world indoor record holder in the 15. Same with Wale. He's, you know, Diamond League champion in the steeplechase. And they can say, I was so good in my second event, I need to also be able to run my first event. And it'll be interesting to see what the Federation does. Yep, Maybe we should record a clip. I may write an article about this. Why not let them do the double? I know for a fact, I mean, some people in the Ethiopian radio listen to this podcast and they've been playing clips of our of our podcast ranting about the marathon trials on the Ethiopian radio and my buddy says it has an, an impact so John maybe we can cause them to come to their senses because I just won at the Olympics some of these events are going to be absolutely amazing can you imagine if we had all of these incredible women in the same same race it would just be so amazing I mean it's still going to be amazing but I just don't want it. I mean, I guess it's always the case for her to be a lot easier to win a bronze medal at the Olympics than maybe to get third at a stacked diamond league when everybody's in it. And I just want to see the best of the best. Wait, as much as Robert toots his own horn, they're playing this podcast on Ethiopian radio. I've never heard this. Like, do I have a translator or is it in English? Like, this is good. Hi, Hailey. <laughs> Hailey Gerbiswasi. You listening? Uh, Roger Tulu. Fans. Big fans of you guys. We love the Ethiopian people. I'm not sure John referred to the conflict as a civil war there. I don't know if that's the proper terminology. Just want to make sure. I'll put a link in the show notes to the clip that was on the Ethiopian radio, to the message board thread that has that clip in it. It was a month or two ago. But, but one other thing. Back to this doping talk. So I guess some people view me as like poo-pooing and all these fast times i enjoyed this world record and i didn't think doping and whatever i just i i liked it and then last night i went on the message board a lot of people i was shocked this thread 
went up really big about the world record. People were just a lot of people were talking EPO and stuff like that and saying it's a doped record and ha ha. And I got on there and argued with these people. I said, look, <laughs> your logic doesn't make any sense. If they're all doping in Ethiopia, why did she lap the entire field except for one person? And I'll say this about Kessler. I'll say this about Hassan and whatever. These are exceptional athletes, no matter what the technology. Think about it. Kessler's running faster than top collegians are. Hassan's winning the 1500 and the 10,000. We've never seen somebody with that type of ability in range. And then good day. I'm going to write an article about this, John. Make me do it. She's the Usain Bolt of women's distance running. Like if, if, if you had a prodigy, who you think who's going to end up just shattering records and making them unbreakable. You would have thought, wow, it's a guy like Usain Bolt who just is setting junior record after junior record and looks incredible. Good day is that for the female distance running. Most women really struggle in their teen years, you know, in the maturation process. She didn't. She won back-to-back world junior XC titles. That's insane. Two years apart. To do that and to win one at like 15 is absolutely insane. Then she runs that 44-20-15K. And now this, 5K and 10K world records. The first since Ingrid Christensen a long, long time ago to hold both records at the same time. Truly incredible. Well- Robert, can I just pump the brakes for a second? This is a woman, she's never won a global title. And to win one in Tokyo, she'll probably have to go through Sifan Hassan and or Gudaf Sagai, who, remember, beat her in 5K back in April in Addis Ababa. So I think it's very possible that G'day, even though she has the world records at both events, leaves without a gold medal after the Olympics. Oh, I agree. I do definitely agree. And if you think about the favor for the race... For the women's ten thousand, assuming Hassan sticks there and and they, and they race in the ten thousand, I, I think Hassan has to be the favorite. Why? She's got incredible speed. They raced in twenty nineteen. It wasn't that long ago, and Hassan closed in three fifty nine. So for Gadea to win, she's going to have to break her. She's not going to have wave white. She's going to have to just go out and set that pace so fast that Hassan can't stick with it, and it's hard to break. You know, I mean, it's possible, but. It's going to be take a lot of courage to do that because I don't think there's any chance she's going to just outkick her if it's a tactical race. Agreed. All right, let's talk about some of these other races, John, because there were some really surprising results. Um, in the women's 800, I mean, we basically thought Ethiopia had no medal contenders there, right? I guess we were sleeping on work. Wuha, get at you. She had come in, she had just didn't even have the Olympic standard. She had run two flat point two zero. And now she's the world leader by a ton. One fifty six sixty seven. Are you kidding me? That was incredible. And then in the fifteen hundred, someone who barely had the standard, she'd hit run the standard on the nose, four oh four twenty. Freywina Halu ran th- a world leading three fifty seven thirty three. Yeah, Robert, it's interesting because some of these athletes, you know, they might not have been able to run as much in 2020. And you need to sort of post some kind of PRs to get invites to these Diamond League races a lot of the times. And so for many of them, I'm sure for Getachu and, you know, Hailu, I think Hailu did run in Ostrava earlier this year and, and won that race. But they just w- didn't have the opportunity to get in these fast races, you know, hi- Getachew's PB was from some race in Addis Ababa, I think, a few months ago. So when you get them in 
the environment to run fast, then you're like, oh my god, these women are actually you know huge talents, and yeah, so. Certainly, I don't know about Hailu. The 1500 is just so loaded. Like, even 357, that's good. But, you know, it's going to be hard to win a medal unless you're sort of in 355, 354 shape. But get it at 156, I mean, absolutely, she's a contender for the gold in, in Tokyo. Yeah, when I saw these results, I'm like, two people I've never heard of running that fast. It's just sort of shocking. So I'm like, but... And talent is usually found. I'm like, well, maybe they should have the trials more often in Hingolo, not in Ethiopia. But, or maybe the wavelength gets people to run faster. But it's like you said, John. Usually, if you're like the top Ethiopian, or something you're getting opportunities to run in Europe. So, uh, I don't know. I think we've seen sort of in the steeplechase, the Ethiopians have started entering that sphere. The 800. I guess on the women's side, just really hasn't been an event for them. But there's really no reason it shouldn't be, right? Like, if you're good at short, middle-distance running, you should be good at the 800 as well, right? Like, there's not a reason the Ethiopians shouldn't be good at 800. And maybe that's what we're going to start seeing. All right, anything else from this meet, guys? I mean, it was an amazing meet, but there was also a ton of other stuff in the track world to talk about. So I feel like we should move on unless you have any any flaming hot takes, Rojo. I'm just getting started. One, I wasn't impressed by Makita Sabebe in the women's steeple. She'd run 9.01. She had to work hard to run 9.13. I'm starting, made me a little bit nervous, John. I know I gave you two to one odds at Emma Coburn. I said she would not medal. Now I'm thinking, ah, the Ethiopians aren't looking as strong as I thought in the steeple. Um, but on the men's side, we've got to talk about the men's 5,000. I mean, Weldon talked about maybe they should hold their trials more often than Hengelo. I don't understand why they held the trials and did pacing lights for a championship. You're, you're, you're holding a trials for a championship race, and yet you're pacing the race. It doesn't make any sense. Because in the men's 5,000, Wally wins in 12.53. Then, then the guys run 12.54, 12.58, 12.58. them is named Mukhtar Edris. Fifth place or Mukhtar Edris. This guy's, what, the reigning two-time champion in the 5,000, John? Yep. He's going he's gonna to be left off the team? He's in 1304 shape right now. This guy's lethal on a championship 5,000. If this race wasn't rabbited, I'd like to see if he dusts these guys or not. Remember two years ago, he was in terrible form and he got to Worlds and he won it. Because if, if he's got a, if he can sense, if he's in a race, you know, it's like Leo Manzano. If he's in a race where he's got a chance to win it, the light goes on and the guy wins it. So that was big to me. I will say this about the the pacing lights as a i don't know as somewhat of a track purist i don't like that they're being used to select the team like ethiopia in years past a lot of times they go by seasons best to pick that team i just think if you're going to pick a team for a championship race you pick the people who do the best in a championship race it's not that hard the issue is and this was particularly true in the men's 1500 but also if you look at even in the men's 5k not all these athletes have the Olympic standard and the window is closing at the end of this month. So the 5K, getting at Wally, guess what? He did not have the Olympic standard in the 5K before this race. So having the pacing lights there, you know, they set them a bit faster than 13, 13.5, but a bunch of these athletes needed to get the standard to make sure they could make the team. So from that respect, I do understand why you would have the pacing lights in some of these races, even if it's not necessarily the best way to pick your team. 
Well, speaking of pacing lights and world rankings, I had a coach ranting to me. He said, he, I don't, he said he was, I, I hate Subco is what he said. He's like, I don't think Subco would have been eligible for the 1984 Olympics under the current rules. Back then, you could, if, if you were good enough, you were put in the rules. They should let Ethiopia put any three damn people on the team. The same thing with the United States of America. They, they shouldn't make Getnet Wally, one of the world's greatest distance runners, run some arbitrary damn time. If your country has like five people in an event that have the standard, you sh- the rules should be you can pick any three that you want to do. End of story. Game over. Next. Well, I'll just say this. Ethiopia only had two in the 1500 in the men's side before today, before yesterday. And one of them was Selman Borrega, who's running the 10K. So they did need the guys to get the standard. And it also, that hurts the people from other countries on the bubble. Because now Ethiopia is sending the maximum of three before they're probably only going to send one. So that those results, if you're on the bubble for the men's 1500, you're probably not happy with those results from Hengelo. There's reasons to have the pacing lights. I mean, there's talk of a world record in the 5K. We haven't even mentioned the women's 5K. Three women under 1420. First time ever. Actually, three women 1415 or under. I mean, it's crazy. But enough Ethiopian talk. Are we probably live on the Ethiopian radio right now? Maybe we can get speaking gigs and shit over there. Ethiopia, kind of, you know, everybody come together. Peace, harmony, love each other. No more fighting, please. No more fighting. Uh, okay, let's. Can we move? I want to move to. Is it called the Music City Track Carnival? You got it. It changed from the Music City Distance Carnival. I think was the old name. Yep. Or classic. This was a neat on ESPN two on Sunday, and for me, there was one big result. That was Jenny Simpson getting beat in the women's 1500 meters. She made it close. She got second place, but she was beaten by Danny Aragon, 405.46 to 406.18. That's actually not that close in a women's 1500. Jenny looked better. You know, she was competitive in this race. Her first time out for 1500 this year, she ran 410. But Danny Aragon's not going to be a factor at the trials. So that bodes the question. Is Jenny Simpson not going to be a factor at the U.S. Olympic trials? I don't know if she's not going to be a factor, but I don't think she's going to be on the team. I mean, after this result, how how can you logically think that she's going to be on the team if she can't beat Danny Aragon, who wasn't even in the trials until she ran this race? She had to run this race just to get under the trial standard. Granted, the trial standard in the women's 15 is probably one of the harder ones to hit. But the only thing that gave me pause, gentlemen, is last night I had a dream. It was a dream of the women's 1500 meter final at the Olympic trials. And it was Jenny Simpson tearing down the home street and demolishing everyone in sight. She won the race. She looked amazing doing it. And I don't know. Maybe that that's, that's the only thing causing me to question myself is my subconscious still thinks that Jenny Simpson can kick. So maybe she can, but I don't know. Based on this evidence, she's not beating Paria. She's not beating Houlihan. And I think there are enough... I mean, Shannon Hosika ran... Shannon Hosika beat some 800 specialists to win the 800 at this event. I think Shannon Hosika right now has a much better chance of making the Olympic team at 1500 than Jenny Simpson. Wait, back to this dream, John. Like, who was second? Who was third? Like, where was Houlihan? What was Perrier? I think Houlihan was second. I really don't remember anything else. I just remember thinking... I remember, like, oh my god, that's Jenny Simpson. She just stormed back. Why did I ever doubt her? I was foolish to do to doubt her. 
And were you at the old Hayward or the, I know I'm not supposed to say new Hayward, but I don't know what else I'm supposed to say. You know, how are the fans? How was the vaccinated section, the non-vaccinated section? What else do you have to report? I don't remember the stadium. It might have, it kind of felt like it was more at Drake than uh, Hayward Field, but I don't remember. Were people going to the Wild Duck afterwards? It was really a fleet. It was a, you know, I, I kind of described all I can remember. You know how you forget a lot about dreams? That's that's the, the key details. Jenny Simpson won the 1500. Wait, do we have an update on the your accommodations at the trials? I've thrown the offer out there to people, and I've had... Let's throw it out. We haven't promoted it then. It sounds like we haven't. We have a two-bedroom... House isn't the proper word, because I don't think it's a freestanding thing. It's nice, big apartment, maybe? They call it like a bungalow. It's I mean, it's basically a house. Yeah. Within walking distance of the trials, Rojo is out now for the first half of the trials. John has this for a week to himself, and I said, John, you can do whatever you want. You can rent it out. The money will go to you. I will. You can, Or you can stay there by yourself. You're not supposed to throw parties in this place. So John posted on the forums, like, anyone looking for a place for the trials, chip in some money. It'll go to Jonathan Galt's pocket. You'll get to, I mean, to experience track and field genius firsthand for a week. You guys, we probably should auction this off, John. Should we create an NFT and auction this off somehow? Maybe you can get millions, but. I don't know. I think there's some people out there, probably you'd have to pay them to stay with me during the trials. But I thought I'm a decent enough roommate. I don't know. If you're interested, Jonathan, go at letsrun.com. Let me know. Folks, just accommodations. Don't think this is like a massage parlor or anything will be coming with your payment for the room. Now, everyone in Ethiopia had to hear that comment now. I mean, Jesus. Also, John, you need to get Apple Pay on your phone because I want you to check out in 30 seconds. DrinkLMNT.com. Free sample pack. Pay $5 shipping. It's a great deal. If you don't like it, I will refund your money. This is electrolytes without the junk. I love it. They come in these simple little packets. Tear, boom, put in your water. Very portable. Very great. Tons of flavors. You can even make low-cal margaritas with this stuff. I've been doing that. DrinkLMT.com slash Let's Run. I ordered it on last week's show, and I did get it already. So very impressed by their order of fulfillment. But guys, let's go back to this Jenny Simpson thing, because I'm on record for saying that she would not make the team a long time ago. I said Sinclair Johnson would make it. But I'm also, I'm very good at playing devil's advocate all the time, even with my own logic. She didn't look good here. I actually t- texted y'all like, right after the race, her final lap 400 split and said, Oh, she looks great. But I mean, I think she ran like 62 or something. Forgot what it was, but you know, it wasn't disaster. It was certainly better than what she ran before 410. but you kind of watch that and you're like, how can that make the team? But I'm not willing to write her off because first of all, I just keep having this premonition that there's going to be a fall in this damn race and USATF will not rerun the race. <laughs> Remember that folks. But if one of the big favorites goes out, but and who, I, actually, Jenny Simpson has a world championship gold medal because somebody who fell. So she's the opposite of Morgan Euseni. But it's not like we anyone. I mean, Shannon Osika has to be considered the heavy favorite for the third spot. She's run four five point seven three. But after that, it's pretty muddled. At least Cranny is the next best person on the U.S. list at four oh two sixty two, and she's likely to do the damn ten thousand meters. Cranny could probably make the team at 1,500. Decent chance. Then you've got Kate Grace. 
I don't think she's going to do the 15, right? She's going to do the eight. Danny Jones. Emma Coburn's not doing it. Helen Schlechtenhofen. Come on, I don't, John, I don't think your Dartmouth alum is going to make the team. Rachel Snyder, she's in the 10K. I mean, you've got a lot of people that aren't running that hot. So, which brings me back to Sinclair Johnson. She's run a 159. She won, a, she won a 800 this week in two flat. And she said, I've got to decide what I want to do. I get that she's been running better at the 800. But I think that's a harder team to make. Right? I mean, you got Othing Mo and Ajay Wilson almost unbeatable. I guess it's just like the U.S., 1500. There's two unbeatable people. But then Raven Rogers, you just are you assuming Raven Rogers is not going to be in shape? If I'm Sinclair, despite her struggles in the 15, she hasn't run faster than 405.91. I think I do the 1500, and I hope that it's a slow race. It's a slow race. You don't need to be running 358. You just get a slow race. You've got that good 800 speed, and you try to win it in a kick or get the top three in a kick. What about you, John? What do you think she should do? Yeah, I agree with you, Robert. I mean, the strange thing to me is she's running well at 800 and not running well at 15. You th- would think the two would go at hand in hand, especially since I think of her as a 1500 runner. You know, she's the defending NCAA champion. So yeah, I think your logic laid it out nicely there. And Robert, actually, reading off the list of women that, with the standard in the US like you just did, I think I'm coming around actually back on Jenny Simpson. I know she, like I said, she got beat by Danny Aragon. How does that make the team? Well, I don't know. I mean, I guess Corey McGee's running pretty well right now. And oh yeah, Osika, I think you'd have to say is probably the, the best pick right now for third. But I don't know, especially if someone has a bad race or something. Like Jenny, you know, she's, whatever she's got at the trial, she's going to get the most out of her. She's not going to make any dumb tactical decisions. Like that's definitely worth something too. So yeah, maybe maybe I was premature to write her off. I, I, it wasn't an encouraging result at Music City, but it was definitely better than what she had her last time out in Eugene uh, in April. So yeah, maybe it, I, it's going to be fascinating to see if Jenny can kick her way onto the team, if you know, she can use her, her smarts and her savvy for a fourth Olympic spot. Yeah, with it's crazy with Puree and... Houlihan being so good and Simpson with the past pedigree, there really is a big drop-off. Because in my mind, I'm not thinking, oh, Shannon Osika is an Olympian. But that third spot goes to a lot of people who often I'm not thinking are Olympians. Because Kay Grace, I'm like, oh, she's totally an 800-meter runner, and you got to almost kind of like her chances if she runs the 15. But for some reason, I think she'll run the 8. The 8's just way harder to make. I mean, it's one of the... It's... But by far the best distance event in the U.S. right now. All right, I want to talk about another world champion who may or may not be done. That's Sir Mo Farah. Now, over the weekend, he competed in the European 10K Cup in Birmingham. And the idea was, we all thought, you know, okay, Mo Farah is going to win this race. It's not like he was going up against any of the best in the world. You guys didn't think that... Weldon, you're looking disgusted. We all agreed on this podcast last week. He's going to win. He's going to get this... Or at least he's going to get the standard, right? Can someone go to the audio? Someone go to the audio? I said, what if he doesn't get the standard? And you guys looked at me like I was an idiot. I'm the only person here with international 10K experience. Whew, I thought this would be a parade coming down my street right now, praising me for my analysis last week. And now John said, turns it around and says, we all knew he was going to win this race. I did not know he's going to win the race. I said he may not get the standard. Come on. I would like to see him play the audio. We all thought he was going to, this is a mere formality. If it wasn't for the Ethiopian trials, this might've been the story. And all these 
10,000 meter world records, this might've been the story that we were going to lead with. I mean, last week, kind of at the end of the show, we said, what if Mo Farah, like we said on next week's show, we could be talking about the end of Mo Farah's career. I mean, we put it as a possibility, but no one thought it was going to happen. And John, I can't believe you disrespected your fellow countryman. You called him the fellow world champion, like Jenny Simpson. That's disrespectful to Mo. This guy's got one, (laughs) two, three, four Olympic damn gold medals. And then one, two, three, four, five, six, six, six world titles. (laughs) That's like saying, well, I don't want to make something make some inappropriate joke. Patrick Mahomes, one-time Super Bowl champion. Tom Brady, seven-time Super Bowl champion. I mean, look, you you win the title, you get to call yourself a champ. Jenny Simpson's a world champ, you know. But yeah, Mo Farah, he was eighth yeah. in this race, twenty-seven fifty, and no, you know, he was on pace for the standard halfway through. I was like, all right, he's just sitting in the pack. I've seen this movie before. He's going to take off, but no, uh, the race strung out in the second half. He could not hang on, and then. He runs 27.50. After the race, he said he'd had you know a little injury niggle uh, for the last about 10 days or so. He hadn't been on a track for two weeks. I'd also heard he was sick coming into the race. So he was not at 100%. But you know he only has three weeks to get the standard now if he wants to be on the team. And I don't know where he's going to run another 10K. And you know is he really going to heal that much in three weeks to be able to go from 27.50 in a race set up to get this standard to, you know, running 27-20 something, maybe solo. I I don't know. I I find it quite unlikely to think that he's going to be at the Olympics at this point. I disagree. If he thinks he's in shape and he had a niggle, uh, he's going to get in shape again. But this is insanity that we're making the four-time Olympic champion go chase the standard. I mean, Britain doesn't have anybody else with it. So if they want to put him on the team, I don't understand why they can't do that. But, oh, I'm sure the last guy in the field would be upset if he was kicked out. So what I didn't understand, though, John, you watched this race was, I mean, I guess once he's not going to make it, is he not trying at the end? I mean, there's he's finished his eighth, but four, five, six, and seven were only all less than two seconds ahead of him. Did he not even bother to kick it in? No, I think he just got out kicked by these guys. That happens when you're having a bad race. Sometimes you get out kicked. And actually... One of the guys who outkicked him was Mark Scott of the Bowman Track Club. I'm actually shocked how poorly he ran because he he was celebrating crossing the line in seventh because he clinched his Olympic spot. Obviously, it's a big deal to make an Olympic team. He also beat Mo Farah. This was the British Championship, so it doubled as that. But coming in, he'd run 27-10 this year in like, what, 13-0 something? And I thought, okay, time for Mark Scott to step up. This is a pretty good European field. It's not, you know... the. Not, it's missing the top East Africans, but it's a pretty solid field. Can he win this? He was not even competitive. I think he even got dropped by Mo in the second half before he ran him down. And he only ran 27.50 in a race won by Francis Moorhead Amdoni in 27.23. So I don't know if he was going in with the mindset, I just need to beat Mo and you know finish as a top two Brits and I'm on the team. But he, he was not even close to competitive for the win in this race. No one else, does anyone else in the country even have a standard, John? Sam Atkin also has the standard. So right now the team is, he was not second. He ran this these trials, I think he was. I don't know where he finished. But right now the team would be Mark Scott and Sam Atkin. And then if Farrah gets the standard, he'll be the third guy. Please tell me. He, w- he was celebrating finishing in like seventh place. Please tell me you're making that up. No, no. He like threw his arms out across the line. Like he was pumped. Should we play the Rojo rant music? Weldon often talks about the mindset difference between the Bowerman Track Club and the NOP. Alberto Salazar, that would never happen with one of his athletes. 
that they would be celebrating finishing seventh place in a race. I, it's great that he made the Olympics. Everyone dreams of being in the Olympics. But come on, it was like a mere formality that Mark Scott was going to be in the Olympics. Dude, you ran terrible in this race. Don't be celebrating. I mean, come on. After you finish, you can say, yeah, I'm happy to make to, um, you know, be an Olympian and, and be proud of that. But you don't throw your arms up. That's disgraceful. Weldon Johnson one year at Mount Sacker, one of these Stanford races, Weldon lapped the world record holder in the marathon. What was that guy's name? Ronaldo da Costa. And I realized who he was. Nobody realizes who he was. And I see this guy. He gets lapped by Weldon Johnson. And I felt bad for him. And I went up to him and said, dude, it's okay, man. Next time you'll do better. So I was having sympathy for somebody who ran bad. I mean, I guess this is a slightly different thing. But, I mean, no, it's the same mindset. Like, I would be having sympathy. I wouldn't be celebrating. Weldon didn't celebrate that he bit, beat the world record holder in the marathon. We felt sorry for him. I mean, come on. We need to have a new segment where Robert crushes people's dreams. The guy had never made an Olympic team. He's the British champion. He made his first Olympic team. I'm fine with him celebrating, but wasn't that impressive a race for me. And while you guys were discussing that, I went back and found the audio. It was actually on the Friday 15. If you guys want a second podcast every week, you want the free summer training program, join the Supporters Club now, annual edition. Everyone gets the second podcast. 20% off running shoes, everything. It's a great deal. But here's the audio. Let's turn to 10Ks in Europe. Mo Farah, he's racing this European Cup 10K. Mark Scott is in this race. Do you guys think Farah wins this race? Does he get the standard? I think he gets the standard. I do expect him to win. But all right. He hasn't run a a 10K in... It's four years, Robert. So I, I stand corrected. John was on my side, too. I posed the question. John posed the question. Robert was adamant that Mofar would get the standard. I find it amusing we can't keep track of our own takes from like five days ago. But I, I predicted him to win. So I'll take the, the L on that. And I will, I will also say, well, I do kind of agree with you with the Mark Scott thing. Like, look, if, it, if you're like, what, 27, 28 years old or something, you make your first Olympic team. Yeah, okay, you got you got pasted by a few other guys, but like clinching a bid to the Olympics, that's a lifelong dream, the biggest lifelong dream for any runner. So, yeah, I can't fault for the guy for celebrating. I'm not mad about that. I might do a small fist pump, throw my arms up. I I, I need to see a video of this, John, to see what you just you described like a No, it wasn't anything over the top. He he threw his arms out across the finish line. So it wasn't what one. It wasn't like the type of celebration that I taught my runners at Cornell to do when they won the fifty crest the fifteen hundred meter old finish line first. It was not Jimmy Weiner circa twenty uh, circa two thousand nine heps. For those of you guys who don't know, one of Robert's runners was disqualified because his celebration during the race was deemed obscene and offensive. Well, yes, because legendary coach Harry Groves of Penn State. He said he was told, he was the meat official, he was told that Jimmy did a double bird to the Dartmouth crowd. The Dartmouth crowd would disgrace themselves that day. That was the only thing that was disgraceful. The lack of sportsmanship shown by the Dartmouth crowd that booed a kid. Imagine a kid winning the thing that he's dreamed about for four years, five years actually, I think it was a fifth year, and then booed by the Dartmouth parents. Well, he wasn't very classy, Robert, but he also, as a Dartmouth alum, I think he should not have been DQ'd from the race. Obviously, he was the best guy in the day. All right. Uh, anything else on Mo Farrow? Should we move on to these crazy sprint times? Like, Chelly and Fraser Price are in 1063 over the weekend, and it's like we haven't gotten to it. We're an hour into the podcast. 
Well, we haven't talked about these sprint times because being an uninformed distance runner, it's easy to dismiss them. Jillian Fraser Price runs what ten six three, and I I swear ten seven flops up, and then it gets adjusted down. I think at one point they had it down to ten six one. Is that even possible? Then it went up to ten six three, and Bramell finishes. I just saw some video from some guy holding a phone in the crowd. It looks like it shows about ten flat, and no one even reacts. And then ten, what's this time? Ten seven nine. Nine seven seven. If Trayvon Bromel ran ten seven nine, he'd be in serious trouble. Yeah, I'm getting my. I had sevens and nines in there or something. I don't know why I had a ten in there. Then nine seven seven pops up, but second place. Like what? What's the like? Who? Like what? What's the guy's name? He runs nine eight five. Marvin, that's 2016 Olympian Marvin Bracey. Do you guys not remember? He was third in the 100 meters at the 2016 U.S. Olympic trials. Then he quits the sport to pursue an NFL career. Uh, that doesn't really work out. He ends up, two years ago, he was playing for something called, in some, a league called the Alliance of American Football for something called the Orlando Apollos. And then he decided, okay, I'm going to make one more run at the Olympics. He runs a personal best nine eight five. I, what? I, I'm just flabbergasted about this. If you told me Trayvon Bromel ran nine seven seven this year, I wouldn't have been shocked. But Marvin Bracey nine eight five, number two in the world, is crazy. There are only four guys in this race. I don't know if you saw this. I don't know if there were DQs. Or they couldn't get enough people together. It was just the strangest possible setting to be running a world leading time. Uh, but I think this, the bigger thing for me is Shelly and Fraser Price. I mean, 10.63 is number two all time. Only Flojo has ever gone faster. And I think a lot of people are skeptical about Flojo's time. Certainly the world record, not just you know the, the win to, be, to begin with. That's always been contentious. But then also a lot of people think Flojo was on PEDs. This was 1980s. Uh, I don't think it would be surprised to find out she was doping, though you know a lot of people support that she, she was clean she never tested positive or anything but there are going to be plenty of people out there and i saw it on my timeline calling this the clean world record we need to have some technical person come on and tell me how they actually verify these times i guess you could somehow with the camera technology they confirm it but it seems like there could be error all the time and they're off by a couple hundreds or something if I had to look at the times, Shelly and Fraser Price destroyed everyone. It was so impressive. Uh, really impressive. The fact Bramel only beat Bracey by .08, I'm actually not that impressed. I don't. I mean, maybe I shouldn't discount it because Bramel is my favorite for the Olympics. I've said this guy's story is amazing, the fact he's even running this year, and he's probably going to win the Olympic gold. But that Miramar track is super fast. Remember that meet we had earlier in the year? There were all the fast times too, so uh, it's hard to like – discount anything that happened there because the fastest guy in the u.s ran even faster but uh, i don't know I, like it i guess if bracy makes the team it, this, the main thing was he was very close to bramel that's the biggest takeaway i have but who knows maybe maybe now it took him a long time to come back from football i mean he hadn't broken 10 flat this year with huge tailwinds he'd run 1001 with a 3.1 tailwind like that was actually a week ago one week ago so maybe it took him a while to get in shape. But back in April, actually, he ran in Miramar. That's where he ran 10.08 with the wind. So that shows how fast this track is because since the, he didn't touch it on other tracks and he comes back here and runs faster. So, Well, it doesn't 
really almost matter what the time was. The fact that he was that close to Bromel is a good sign for him. This is not a good sign for Noah Lyles. I don't think Noah Lyles is going to make the 100-meter team. But back to Shelly Ann Fraser-Price, we actually had a article up on the homepage, and I don't know what – I don't think we had it accurately labeled. Our employee 1.1 said, track and field news calls her run the greatest run ever. I, I don't think that's true. The thing I see on their website is if you factor in for the win, this is not actually the best run of Shelly Ann Fraser-Price's career. Um, it equates to a 10.71 without wind, and she's run something that's equivalent to a 10.70 at zero wind. So still a great run. And really excited to see her, because she said she'd rather run 10.6 than win a third, what's third Olympic gold, right, John? Yeah. So she's got the 10.6 now, so now she can get the third, which is what I want to see her try to do. And again, the women's 100 is going to be sick now, because you've got... Her, Asher Smith, who beat everybody, and Shakari Richardson. Yeah, and Elaine Thompson ran 10-8 over the weekend and just total afterthought as well. But I I think it's a very interesting situation we've got here now because Shakari Richardson was on fire earlier this year, making ran 10-7s like they weren't you know, going out of style. Dina Asher Smith beat Richardson and Shelly Ann Fraser-Price head-to-head in those awful conditions in Gateshead. And now Shelly Ann Fraser-Price, the GOAT of the Women's 100, has just run the second fastest time ever. So who you guys got? Who's your Olympic favorite right now in the Women's 100? After this one, Shelly Ann Fraser-Price. Before, it was like no question in my head, Shakari Richardson. Even after she lost up in Gateshead. But she's got the experience, and now she's got the fast times. And she bumped friendofletsrun.com Carmelita Jeter in the all-time list. So, uh, back to Flojo, though. We should, okay, let's get, even if you got rid of the 1049, she ran 1061 in the final the next day. The 1049 was in, like, the semi, the... Quarterfinals. Quarterfinals. The quarterfinals. Like, like that should, like, we should actually, that should be stricken from the books. Like, we shouldn't even talk about that. Like, that wouldn't hold up to statistical scrutiny, but... I don't know. Science doesn't seem very strong right now. And she ran a 10.62. So the, she still got two other times barely faster than this. But great run. I did think about getting on YouTube and going frame by frame. Try to confirm some of these times. This is my new favorite conspiracy theory. Is that 100 meter times, no one actually knows to the you know to the 10th or whatever what's right so all of these r- famous runs through history you know bolt 969 in beijing maybe that was actually a 9.72 and he tied his old world record and they just wanted to say no it was 969 you know that sounded cooler this is my favorite new conspiracy in track and field because who's going to be able to disprove it speaking of conspiracy theories john we mentioned the patriots earlier i just want to get this on the record donald trump it came out this week, actually had saved the Patriots from, def- uh, what was the one? Not Deflategate, the one before that, the other cheating scandal. Spygate. He, he, he interviewed with a senator to save Jonathan's team. And then John, how did John repay the man? Trashing him for years on our podcast. Yeah, I, I avoided, I just was, I didn't have any interest in reading that story. So, no comment. It shows, you know, just 
It's how people are these days. We just silo ourselves off and we read stuff that doesn't make us feel uncomfortable. I just don't like read. I've read plenty of Spygate stories over the year and I don't need it to be rehashed 14 years after the fact. I'm like, look, they got caught cheating. They did cheat. They got caught. They got fined. It's over. This is the whole thing. That's why Deflategate was such a big deal because the rest of the owners couldn't get over Spygate from seven years ago. So yeah, I'm, I'm, pl- I'm just ready to be done with that story. Update on the Olympics. My big, you know, I don't know if that's a conspiracy, but I have to keep hearing about people talking about how it's going to get canceled. I was reading a Wall Street Journal article today how rehashing some feud from it seemed like about 10 days ago. But then I thankfully turned to the Today Show where you're going to get news <laughs> suggesting the Olympics are going on because they're paying the most money for it. But they said they, they it's good news. Now they're thinking there might be local fans. Guys, we still don't have you guys a hotel room. And the other piece of news I saw on the headline was foreign media covering Olympics to be monitored by GPS, Tokyo 2020 president says. So it sounds like you guys will be hotel track. This might be the most expensive trip for Let's Run.com by far because we're not known for like eating in the hotel constantly. So you guys will be living large in Tokyo, just churning through the Let's Run.com card. Tokyo people, please offer us. Good accommodations. Thank you. Well, I read there was like financial assistance because you can't do an Airbnb. This will be good. I'll have, will they share the John's GPS coordinates with me so I can track him? I'm sure his parents want to know where he is. Maybe some potential suitors want to know where he is. And I can say, well, it looks like John's just at the food court. He'll be back shortly. But anyways, we're like an hour into this thing and we haven't even talked about the NCAs and we've got to do that and get to this amazing Josh Kerr interview. So, before we get to get preview of the NCAA meet, John McDonald, the legendary coach, and people that are under the age of 30 may not really appreciate him. Um, well, I guess, John, I, I, actually, Jonathan Gall, you'd be a perfect example, because how old are you now, 30, John? I'm 30, and I, I appreciate him, but I was not... I was not really following the sport when he was dominating. I think by the time I started following the sport, Chris Bucknam had taken over at Arkansas. So John McDonald, the legendary Arkansas coach, died yesterday at 82 years of age. This guy won 40 NCAA titles in his 36 years of coaching in Arkansas. I think he actually won more, and a couple of them were stripped for something. But won 12 straight NCAA indoor titles, five triple crowns of cross-country, indoor, and outdoor track. And he won at least one title every year from 1984 to 2000. And he had some crazy cross-country streak that was like 30 years long. But absolutely amazing career. And, you know, when he retired, he was such a big person in the sport. And he's been struggling sort of with some health issues recently. And it's kind of been forgotten about. And the Arkansas media, like, when Let's Run was interesting. When Let's Run was founded, like, one of the go-to places where I always went to find links for the homepage was, like, the Arkansas newspapers because they were one of the few people that really covered track and field. The Denver Post did it and the Arkansas papers. It was because of McDonald and they had some pro meets there. They had that indoor meet in Fayetteville. So he really helped raise the profile of track and field um, in this country and just did such an amazing job. And, you know, I I know that a book was written about him. It's a real shame. My buddy, Chris Lear, who I love the way he writes, he was going to do a book on, on McDonald's career and then some stuff came up with Chris's family, and he couldn't do it. So I don't think the definitive John McDonald story has been told for people who didn't appreciate him. Because what I remember one year is, like, 
it was like the night before NCAA cross country, or maybe it was the morning of, and I woke up and I thought, okay, is there any way that Arkansas could win today? And I was like, no, there's not. And sure enough, they won. It seemed like they just always came through. Now, back then, it's interesting, Well, then we didn't know everything about every runner. Like, you didn't have TFers, so you couldn't look up everybody's results. There was a little bit more unknown, but you just knew that Arkansas was going to bring it at every NCAA meet. Yeah, this, I mean, this guy's the legend of legends at the NCAA, and if you saw the tributes pouring out, pouring in for him from social media, you know, from coaches, from athletes, I mean, everyone just acknowledges, you know, he's his name's synonymous with excellence. 40 NCAA team titles. And this is the crazy, like that, the crazy thing to me is he was only a men's coach. He did not coach the women. So like Pat Henry, Pat Henry's also won a crap load of titles at Texas A&M and LSU. You know, he's run 36, which is a lot, but nine of those were men's titles and 27 women. Pat Henry coaches both teams. John McDonald coached one gender and still won 40 NCAA team titles. I mean, Oh, just the the numbers are ridiculous, and tons of you know NCAA all time greats, and and you know a, a number of disciplines. Just uh, a giant of the track and field coaching community. Yeah, and if you think about like what were the keys to success, I mean, one at college you've got to be a master recruiter. He was great at recruiting; he had a connection to Europe too, which was helpful, and then. You've also got to have different ways to get scholarships and academic money and stuff like that. He was a master figuring out that system. So he's a great recruiter, but he was also an amazing motivator. I mean, there was a, someone on Lots Run was talking about him in the tribute thread that we'll link to in the show notes. Someone's like, yeah, I was recruited to him, and he just had a presence. And then three, he could coach. He could do, could do, do distance running. I was asking John Kellogg about him, you know, my coach, and John's like, well, he kind of did like a modified Lydia program. Um, I mean, the Arkansas guys weren't really known for running very much. The difference was they just didn't run, run very much in the offseason because they had the most talented guys. They run like 50 miles in the summer and then pile their mileage up during the season so they were really in shape building their fitness as they got closer to the cross-country season. You know, And he loved to recruit milers, the guys with speed, because they could do well across and you know help them out in the indoor tracks. But um, the story I, I love is – um, Weldon's and I friend Paul Stone I think he, Paul was a two-time footlocker finalist I guess he talked to McDonald about going there and he said son uh, John Kellogg can do it perfect in an Irish accent I can't talk with an Irish accent I'll be honest with you you won't get a penny from Arkansas unless you break 4.10 or go under 9 minutes in the 2 mile high school kids right now aren't impressed they're like well those are slow times <laughs> one of my favorite things I read about John McDonald yesterday there was a column by Mike Vaccaro from like 20 years ago or something and it was a profile of McDonald and the anecdote was McDonald was at NCAAs one year and he saw an athlete that he had recruited but had ended up not going to Arkansas and they caught up and the athlete was in a really good mood he's like oh man I'm just so happy I made it to NCAAs like he viewed it as a big accomplishment and then McDonald walked away and he was just thinking you know he said he wouldn't have done well at Arkansas because when you got to come to Arkansas, you don't want to just get to NCAA's. Like you want, you want to perform at NCAA's. That's what their whole thing, whole program was about. And he just built this tradition of excellence and maintained it so carefully for so long. It's just, it's so, it's hard to get to the top, but then to ma- stay on the top year after year after year, that consistency is just mind boggling. Well, shall we transition from a legend of the past to the legends of 2021? Previewing the NCAA Outdoor Track and Field Championships. We will not have boots on the ground. This is quite upsetting. NCAA Outdoors, it's one of the best meets in the world. It's one of my favorite meets to cover, but 
the NCAA is going with the all virtual mix zone. There's no access to the athletes other than by Zoom. So given that we'll be at the Olympic trials as well, you know, we're not going to the NCAA outdoors. We will be covering it from afar. We've all got virtual credentials, but I'm still really excited for this meet. I think it's great that all these athletes get to go to this palace at Hayward Field. You can see, like, they're just so happy they get to compete on this grand stage. I really think it's great for the sport in this country that this is where we get to have national championships for these college kids and they have something to work on. You know, it just builds up a love and appreciation for the sport. So I think it's great that we have it back at Hayward Field. And some of these events, I mean, as always, the NCAA meet always, it always delivers. There's always stars being minted every single year. And I think the biggest event, the one I'm most excited for, this is the one that the most exciting NCAA races I can remember in recent memory is the men's 1500, Cole Hawker, Yared Nagoose. You know, we've got Elliot Kipsang in there as well. He's a 335 guy. I mean, it's a great field, but... Kip say Nagoose versus Hawker is the big showdown for me, and I can't wait until this thing goes off Friday night. John, that's the distance matchup of the meet for sure. And I mean, the crazy thing is, contrary to what Robert even says, Hobbs Kessler has run faster than both these guys. And we got a poll up on the homepage, and it's neck and neck. Right now, let me see the most recent results on who you guys. And gals think is going to win. Right now, it's Hawker 44%, Nagoose 43%, Kipsang 7%. But in the on NCA prediction contest, I don't know if that's the more informed fan or what, but we actually have different results. It's not that close. Do you guys have a guess on who you think is the favorite? Hawker. That was incorrect, John. Jared Nagoose at 58%. The favorite Cole Hawker then gets thirty four percent. Kip saying six percent. So I don't know if that means the more casual fan likes Hawker, but get your picks in. We'll put a link in the show notes to the on NCA prediction contest. No, I'm going to pull a Rojo here and give myself credit for influencing the results of the prediction contest because I think a lot of uh, readers are smart, and if you're a smart reader, what do you do before you vote in the prediction contest? You read the Let's Run.com previews. And who did I pick to win this race in the Let's Run.com preview? I picked Yard Nagoose. So I'm taking credit for this, Weldon. And when I think about this, I'm tempted to go against my boy, who I've picked for the Olympic team. I think on the Friday 15 podcast, I said if I had to pick a number one pick, if I could only, if I was drafting like the NBA drafts and I had to pick Hawker or Kessler, I might pick Hawker just because he was a national champion in high school and cross country. And that's kind of what I'm hearing. He's got, he's got a better 5,000 PB. He's got a better 800 PB. Although Yared Nagus beat him earlier in the year. So as Hawker passes prime, it's going to be amazing. You just turned 20. You passed your prime, prime buddy. Well, then I'm going to ask you a question. I don't know if you've read Jonathan's preview, but Jonathan in the preview said he, we, he spent a lot of time talking about the 1,500, 5,000 double. No one's ever won that at the same NCAAs, right, John? No man has ever done it. Sheila Reed has actually done it for the women, but no one's ever won both at the same meet in the same year. And a few people have done it throughout their career. Yeah, Wes Santee has done that, Bill Dellinger and Sidney Marie. And then 
Lobby of the Land came very close in 2014. This was with the old schedule when the finals were on different days. He won the 5K and came .04 short in the 1500 against Mac Fleet. That's the closest anyone's ever come. Anyways, in John's preview, he said he thought that the 1500 was the harder event for for, for Hawker to pull off if he's going to win the double. And I just totally disagree with that. I think the harder event for him, without a doubt, is the 5000. And to me, it's obvious. I mean, A, he's going to be tired. He's doubling back with, what, like 90 minutes rest? That's very hard to do. The big studs in the 5,000 are going to be totally fresh. Cooper Tier won't have run anything. And Wesley Kiptu, well, you know, he'll run two days before that in the 10,000. And I really thought indoors in the 3,000, if Kiptu had been in the 3,000, I don't think Hawker would have won it because I think Kiptu would have set the pace so fast that they would have broken Hawker earlier in that race and he wouldn't have been yes his last 200 is amazing but not if he's not in it how fast and this is a 5000 how fast would they have run they ran 746 in that 3k indoors robert that's really like you're thinking they could run 730 something i don't think i don't think so I'm just saying a faster start i think he's going to put him more he's going to make him really question whether he wants to go with it now it's not going to be super hot it's not going to be it's going to be like in the 60s i think it's not going to be one of these austin texas things where it's really a sort of Questioning, you have to question whether you want to do it in 90 degree weather or not. But I don't expect him to win the 5,000. I'm not sure that he's going to win the, the 1,500. This is going to be great. I mean, this is the first real meet with big fans at Hayward Field, right? Ever? Yes. For up to 4,400 fans per day. I think that it's not full capacity, but it's going to be loud. I think that's something to factor in. Because, well, I'm sure they give parents preference, but there's got to be a lot of Oregon people rooting for Hawker. But I agree with you, Robert. I think the 5K is harder for him to win just because it's second, doubling back, that sort of thing. Uh, I think you guys are wrong. I th- I mean, he's raced Coupetier a few times in the longer events. I know he lost to him in the 1500 earlier this year, but Pac-12s, Tier and Hawker were right there with a lap to go, and then Hawker just totally destroyed him over the last 200. And then NCAA indoors, Tier was fresh. Granted, he had run the DMR the night before, but he hadn't run an event that day. And Hawker was tired, doubling back from the mile, and he comes and beats him in the in the 3K. And that was with less rest than he will have at this meet. So to me, I think, I think the harder event to win is the 1500 because Nagus is in there. But that's not that's no disrespect for Coupetier. I actually picked Coupetier. I think my prediction is, and I th- I might have egg on my face after this, but my prediction, if you look at our previews, is that Hawker will win neither event. I picked Nagus in the fifteen, and I picked Tier in the five k. But you know he could finish second in both or something and still have a hell of a meet. It's just that the fields are incredible. It's gonna be so good. I can't wait. On the men's side, some of these other events are. I mean, 800 is totally loaded. I loved your preview there, John. You showed how the Jewett of USC and Miller of Texas A&M were, I mean, they were in the same prelim at the West Regional, and Miller dove at the finish line to beat him. So it looks like they're going all out, and we may see something super tight again in the in the final. Um, I, I'm tempted to pick Jewett because he was fifth at the USA's, but Brandon Miller beat him at regionals and is damn good. So that should be a lot of fun. And then the 10,000, I mean, look, the me record's going to be broken. 
right? How many men's meet records are going to be broken? Here they are, the times. 143.5 in the 800. 335.30 in the 1500. 8.12 in the steeple. 13.18 in the 5,000. And 28.01 in the 10,000. Okay, the 10,000 is gone, right? Everyone agree on that? No. I mean, look, it's, it's possible, yeah. But you're, you're just acting like these guys can easily run under 28 minutes, like... We, like yes they have run out of 28 but Wesley Kiptu earlier this year I think he, he when he ran the 10k in Eugene he barely broke 28 it was like 27 8 58 and that was a race where they needed to get a time this one I mean he does like to go out hard but that doesn't like see I think you're not giving sub 28 enough credit that's that's not easy you have to be on it the whole way what if he blows up I don't think that's a given but I could see it happening I think the 800, no way that goes. Steeple, no way that goes. 1500 with Kip saying in the race, that could go. 5K, unlikely but possible. Yeah, I think the 10's gone and I think the 15's gone. And the 10's tonight, right? So that's just checking the weather. What time's the race? It's going to be 60 something degrees, so decent weather. I think that record probably does go. I think the 5 goes. If Kip Two pushes it, trying to tire out Hawker, but I don't know what the weather's Saturday or the men Friday. Friday. Friday's calling for rain, but good weather, good temperature, so could go. Uh, speaking of conspiracy theories, earlier we talked about them. John, do the men always go first in NCAs? Yes, and that's my conspiracy theory. I've always thought that they have the men first and the women second, so that the women get a weekend day, and obviously more fans are going to come on on a weekend, and then it boosts the women's numbers. I think you would have a little bit of a discrepancy between the men and women if it was the opposite. I mean, most of the, let's be honest, most of the spectators are coaches and friends and whatever, but you're going to get more people on the weekend. So I just think it, I'm not, I, I think they should flip it. And anything else, they should flip it. But in terms of the women's stuff, we haven't talked about that. Um, I don't think any meet records are going. Susie Favor Hamilton, 159.11. Sinclair Johnson, 405.98. Courtney Fryricks, 9.24. Sally Kipiego, 15.15. And Sharon Lachetti, 32.09.20. I guess we could see, John, you think maybe the steeplechase could go? The, yeah, the steeplechase, I mean, that's also the collegiate record. It's a really tough mark. But Courtney Wayman, remember, she was the best runner in the NCAA indoors. She won the 3K and the DMR for BYU. And she's run 931 this year. I don't think it's inconceivable that she breaks that record, though she'd obviously need to have a very good day. The 10K, maybe Mercy Challengart could could challenge it. I don't think anyone in the field has ever broken 32, so that'd be tough. But and then the other ones I think are untouchable for this year. But yeah, I'm I'm pretty interesting. Like normally the steeple, I'm gonna admit, doesn't always get my juices flowing because the best runners will usually run other events. Like the men's steeple this year in NCAAs. I'm not too too excited about it because they don't have any like top tier talents. But that's not the case in the women's race this year because you've got Courtney Wayman, who is the NCAA, as I said, indoor 3K and DMR champ. And you've got Joyce Camelli of Auburn, who was the NCAA 5K champion indoors. And then you've also got Mahala Norris of Air Force, who's run... He was, she was fourth in NCAA indoors in the 5K, fourth in NCAA cross. You've got the runner-up from the last few years, Charlotte Prowse. Like, that's actually a really 
you know, stacked event this year. So I think the steeple is going to be interesting. 800, I think Mo's doing the, uh, the 400, so she's not there. But, you know, they're all, these races are going to be good still. What's going to be interesting to me, John, is if Wayman does break that record, I mean, that would be a big PB. But then that puts her right in the hunt for the Olympics because you got Coburn and Fireworks. But number three on the U.S. list this year in the steeplechase is 925, Val Constian. There's a lot of question marks about Colin Quigley. Apparently she's been injured. So, you know, that would be interesting. But this is just going to be such a good meet. I mean, even without, I think, you know, John, seven women broke 202. And 201 are faster at the East Regional. It's just the, the talent level is really incredible in this meet. So it's going to be great. I'm really also excited for the women's 1500. Got some real studs in that one. Um, we didn't mention that when I did the Joe Clacker. But, you know, he's got this, I don't want to, you know, jump the gun on some things, but his girlfriend is Sage Herta. He already comes from this running family background. It could, be, it could become like a running dynasty if their relationship develops. But, hey, no pressure. Figure you guys self out. You're just dating right now. But she's the top seed in women's 15. Or the favorite, I should say. Yeah, she hasn't lost to a collegiate all year, but then you've got Julia Hamek, the, the Pac-12 champion, who um, I guess she was second in the Pac-12 800, then won the 5K. But I just love the Alabama freshman, Amaris, I can't ever say her last name. Tanisma, I think. Tanisma. I mean, I know she was only third at SECs, John, but who would have predicted her to get third in, in cross country? And she just ran 409 at the regionals. Chrissy Gear and Whitney Orton have also run 409. Yeah, Whitney Orton's doing the Cole Hawker. She's doing the 15-5. So is Haymark. Uh, you know, it's pretty interesting there that they're doing it. I actually think, I mean, Whitney Orton, she doesn't get talked about enough because she's run 15-12 this year in the 5K. That's the NCAA leader. And she was what? She was only 17th in NCAA cross. But that was because she'd been running for about three or four weeks at that point. And then she comes out, guts it out, was leading with about a K to go, and then fades. She's a monster talent. So... I think Harder is better than her in the mile, but I wouldn't, you know, I think if Orton was fresh, I'd pick her in the 5K. And I, in fact, I still picked her even doubling back from the 15. I think she's that good that she could win the 5K. All right, real quickly, some of the non-distance action, some good storylines there. Terrence Laird, who I think will be on the Olympic team at 200 meters. He's going for the 100-200 double. But he's got to beat Mika Williams, the Oregon freshman, who will have the home field advantage. North Carolina A&T. You got to love the little, you know, little Davids. They could win the 4x1 and the 4x4. Heavy favorites in the 4x4, but and they got a pretty good shot in the 4x1. That would be a pretty cool story. Um, women's side, I think Bo... I mean, she's already the collegiate record holder, 400 and 800. That's pretty nuts. So, you know, how does she look in the 400 here? Does she lower that record even more before the 800 of the trials? It's pretty crazy, like, how we're, what, 95 minutes into podcast? As amazing as she is, we don't talk about her much because she's sort of gone to the sprints. But it's absolutely stunning, unbelievable. Anything else you guys want to mention? Well, the women's 100 is pretty cool with, what, three sub-11 women in it? Tamara Clark, 1087 versus Twanisha well, Terry of USC, 1089. So, I don't think so. Twanisha Terry broke broke 11 twice at the regional. 
And Terry ran 10.99 with legal, win legal and 10.89. Okay, yeah. Tomorrow clocks run 10.96, but her 10.87 was wind aided. I mean, they're, they're very good. I expect that it's going to be well under 11 seconds winning time, assuming the wind cooperates. But yeah, that's a good event. There you have it, folks. John shits on every time except for when it's Hopcasts or the name. Context is key, Robert. I don't want someone flat. I mean, look, would you go around saying. 1087 was your PR if it wasn't win legal. I don't think you would. You got to, you know, just want the, the viewers to know what they're, what they're hearing. Should be an amazing meet. Folks, don't forget to enter the contest. Go to letsrun.com. You can enter our prediction contest sponsored by On. You can win big prizes. And this year, we've extended it through the prelims. You don't have to enter until Friday at like, what, 4 p.m. Weldon or something like that because you can change your picks during the prelims. This is actually a guaranteed way that I can finish at least in the top quarter because i'll be changing my picks all the time and that was way because i have more time i don't have a day job i'm guaranteed now guaranteeing myself to finish in the top quarter it also gives you more time to sign up so it's a win-win you guys getting gals get to play and i get to act like i'm smarter than the people out there the masses give us a call we want to hear from you we're handing out free shoes i promised you a second audio clip this is actually from the guy that called in april or my favorite one from april he doesn't think that one podcast is enough. We actually have the Friday 15. That's a bonus podcast on Friday. He doesn't even think that's enough. So sign up, become a Let's Run.com VIP. Let's Run.com slash subscribe. And maybe we'll do a Monday podcast as well, a third podcast. Here we go. And don't forget, after this audio, we're going straight to the amazing interview with Josh Kerr of the Brooks Beast. For the love of God, would you guys please do another podcast throughout the week? One is not enough. I don't consider the Supporters Club Friday 15. It's, it's great, but it's only 15 minutes. I need more than that. Come on, you guys. You guys are too good to be only doing a podcast in a quarter a week. So come on. Monday, you can do one. Maybe let's do Wednesday and then, you know, stretch that Friday 15 to, I don't know, 30, 45 minutes. Come on. I mean, talk about... Rojo go more rants. You guys talk about the family drama and the Johnson family. Talk about Johnson's dating life. I don't give a shit what you talk about. Just just talk about something just remotely track-related. There's nothing else out there. I drive a lot for work. I'm a real estate agent. I don't have time to read articles to get in the message boards. But I, you know, I can listen to a podcast all day long, really. So, come on. Let's, uh, let's do that, please. Bye, guys. I got a comment now. I mean, hell, we got some family drama we could talk about. Family trip. My parents were coming up to visit Robert. Oh, I guess we'll have to save that for what's it going to be called? The Monday Ma- Monday Minute or something? Or the Monday Mania? And, oh, John's dating life? Little let's run, you know, after dark on the weekends? Yeah, this this is revenue opportunity. And also, we did not even mention, there's a Florence Diamond League meet tomorrow? Probably some more world records can go tomorrow. Faith Kipiegun's running, I think. No. Kipiegun versus Hassan versus Muir in the 15. That's loaded. We got Joshua Cheptegei in the 5,000 meters against some of the top Ethiopians in that event. Uh, I got to pull up the start list here, but trust me, they're running as well. Yeah, Adris, Gebruet, Telehun Bekele, Yalka Brixen's in that 5K. 
Concessus Kiprudo makes his return in the steeple. It's going to be a great event. That's on Thursday. My God, we're getting Kepigan versus Hassan? Yep. Uh, this is unbelievable. Like four days after she runs a 10,000 world record. I apologize. I apologize. This podcast is not going out. We previewed NCAs instead of this shit. You got you got Jacob Jakob Ingebrigtsen racing Chepta guy, Edris Berega at 5K? As John said, you just set the fucking pacing lights and boom, they get a world record. This thing might go down. <laughs> <laughs> we might we might have to have the Friday 15 on Thursday. Berega's not running that race. He was mentioned in the Yahoo Australia article I'm reading, but I guess not. All right. We're not sure when the second podcast will be this week, but it might make sense to have it after that Diamond League meet. Until then, here is the real Josh Kerr, holder of the fastest 1,500 meters ever on American soil, who is dreaming of Olympic gold. We are very happy to be joined by Josh Kerr of the Brooks Beasts. He ran 331.55 last week to win the Stumptown Twilight Meet in Portland. That is the fastest outdoor 1500 meters ever run on US soil. And Josh, as you may recall, was a three-time NCAA champion during his time at the University of New Mexico. More recently, he finished sixth at the 2019 World Championship Final in Doha, representing Great Britain. So Josh, thanks so much for joining us. Congrats on your new PB. And we need you, can you confirm is that track in Portland? Is it 400 meters? Because we've seen a lot of fast 1500 times there over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, when I watched those races on the Saturday at the track festival, I was like, well, this looks like it's definitely, you definitely got enough stuff for me to go out and run fast. So, you know, those uh, Americans and a couple of Brits ran fast like four or five days before. And I was like, yeah, this is setting the stage pretty well. But I mean, everyone always runs fast there. I think, especially just having the crowd back a little bit like there wasn't um spectators but there was a lot of high school races and maybe a like couple parents and coaches and it was it was a pretty full stadium and it was kind of nice to have that atmosphere back and that's the first time and for me like you know a year and a half two years of getting that experience again so you know maybe just that excitement and and, and buzz around the track is is kind of pushing people to those faster times and wh- why did you end up in the Stumptown meet as opposed to the Portland Track Festival a few days before? Because that was a stronger field you would have been able to face. Yeah, so I entered it. Um, but the, the problem is, is a 15 guy can't really come off a 5K as strong as a 5K guy can come off a 5K. So I, it did hurt me a lot coming off that 5K. I know I was, I, was, uh, I was in a little bit of a hole, so we needed to kind of be smart. So I told Danny, I was like, I'm going to pull out the, the Portland race, uh, the Portland Track Festival race, just because... I don't feel like I'm ready to race and I don't want to have another race. And I think it was 10 days after or something. And I was like, the next week after my race, I was in a, in a bit of a hole. So I just went, you know, pull me out of that race and I'll focus on training. If I get a good week of training, I might think about racing Stumptown. And he was like, okay, that's that sounds good. And so we were smart and and, uh, and kind of trusted our instinct a little bit. Had a good week of training after. It, t- it took me a, a good week to even get back into full training. Uh, and that would have left me with four days before Portland track. So we just made that decision. It was a shame because obviously it, is, it was such a great meet. But, you know, obviously my teammate Henry Wynn was in there and, you know, bouncing up with those Americans and Brits as well. So, you know, it, it was a shame to not race that race. But at the end of the day, 
I'm not like people are will will always take their own narrative from that, like, oh, maybe I'm avoiding certain people, or whatever. But I've been racing Engels, I've been racing Sentra, I've been racing Henry, I've been racing all these guys for so many times. It's like I didn't pull out of it for a specific reason. It was just it didn't suit my race plan. And so that's kind of why I moved it to to sometime. Sure. Well I was I mean, I was curious. If you were in that race, how does it play out differently? Because if you're going you were targeting this all comers record going in, which was 332 and if you're in there running 331 does it play out the same way do some people try to go with you and blow up i mean it's actually a pretty interesting dynamic uh to think about how it would have changed but i I guess i'm curious like why did you settle on this this u.s all comers record as, as the goal going in uh to be honest i think it blew up more than i thought it would uh, me and danny have been speaking about this for a while like i want to, i've wanted this record for a while just because it's a fun record to have it's something that i can say that you know like oh you know i, I did that i broke that record that was that, that was super old like i did in the ncaa when that was 37 odd years old i enjoy going up against you know really tough records and it was fun um so yeah i just i just thought i'd go for it and then and yeah, I, I knew I'd get it. I just thought I'd run a little bit faster. So that was a bit of a shame. Yeah, well, you still got a, still got a personal best out of it. And one <laughs> of the things I'm curious about is I saw on social media this was being touted as you were breaking Seb Coe's US All-Comers record. But I found, I don't know, I looked at the stats. Apparently, Rashid Ramsey actually ran faster than Coe in 2006. He ran 332 Versus Co. three thirty two fifty three in the nineteen eighty four Olympic final. I was. Were you aware of that? I was not aware of that, and that would have been pretty embarrassing, huh? Uh, <laughs> so yeah, no. I, I mean, there's this long list of compiled results from like for every single result um, in the fifteen hundred. It's like the top thousand times or something. And so we would just scroll down, scroll down, trying to find somewhere in the U.S. And that's what we came upon. So. Yeah, we must have missed that one, but thank goodness I ran a good second faster than than the the proper record, or else I probably wouldn't have had that one, huh? <laughs> well, he was a doper anyway, so we, we shouldn't be worried about his time. Oh, perfect. I, I'm curious. You said you you're upset with the time. I mean, what were you hoping to do solo? Out there? <laughs> That's pretty amazing. Uh, well, I mean, with 400 to go, I I felt pretty strong. I think I just went one kick too early. Um, I pushed like three times in the race, and I think I pushed one too hard too early with 400 to go um because my last 70 ish wasn't the strongest um but yeah again like we've been working a lot on the 5k we um so i'm really strong i can get through rounds really well but my lactic work hasn't been the best so that's kind of what we've been working on right now and that's what we'll be working on towards you know the trials and the olympic games hopefully so yeah i think you know i wanted to run sub 30 and or low 30s and um, so 31 and a half was obviously great to get that record but for me it's you know, I want to. I want to be the best in the world. I want to be up in the top. You know, top three um, ranked going into the Olympics, or whatever it is. And I think that's what you need to do to be there. So, you know, for me, it doesn't matter if I'm running Portland on my own or if I'm in the Monaco Diamond League. I'm always going to try and push fast times. And I think that's why people enjoy watching me racing. It's just because sometimes you just need someone to grab a race by the scruff of the neck and just go for it and, and be ballsy and be brave. And I feel like that's what I bring to races. And you've got the British Olympic trials are at the end of the month, June 25th to 27th. And obviously you'll be running the 1500 there. Can you tell us how it works? Is it top two and then there's a discretionary spot? That's that's usually how it is in the UK, right? Yeah, it's the same same as normal. So yeah, top two, if you have the qualifying time, will go automatically. And then the third will be up for the discretion of the British Athletics Board. 
Um, so that's always a, a, a rough, rough topic, especially in a, in a, um, a distance like the 1500 where you've got, you know, maybe I think we have four or five guys with the qualifying standard. So it's, it's kind of who they prefer, or who they think has the best chance of meddling or, or making it to the final or something like that, or maybe can maybe meddle in the future or something. So it is, it is a shame when it, when the third person doesn't actually get picked, but, you know, that's, that's up to them. And for me, it's like, I don't really see third as a spot. Um, I, I see top two as like your, your spots and the third is, is, as much as a, um, lottery ticket than fourth is, to be honest. So yeah, top two is, is kind of the, the main goal, um, for, for British champs. But, you know, I've never run, won a British championships and, and I love winning races. So I'm going to go out there and do all I can to win. What do you make your chances? Pretty high. I back myself pretty well right now. I mean, if you look at my range, um, the 800, I didn't, you know, I was training for the 5Ks, you could probably tell, which is why I ran a 5K six days later. Went out, uh, ran 145, and then backed it up with 13.23, so, and then came out and ran 331. So my range on both sides, if you want to take it out hard, I'll be right there. If it wants to be slow, I'll be right there, and I can close. So, you know, any race scenario, I've, I've covered kind of all my all my boxes, really. Is there a reason you've been going out, you know, training a little bit more for the 5K this year than in years past? I, I actually train for the 5K most, like, like I train for it quite a lot. I train for it most of college. I train with the 10K guys most of college, actually. Because um, the w- when we were up in Albuquerque um, with the team, it's just it's just easier and kind of, it's the way that I respond best with altitude is working on my strength and it does help my 15 a lot. I do have quite good natural speed, so I don't need to sprint as much. Uh, so that's just always how I've, I've, I've kind of worked, which isn't as fun as trying to just be like this fancy, like sprinting 15 guy, but I'm more of a grind out and, and, but I just never really ran a 5k. Uh, I ran a 5k back in 2019 and that was my second one here a couple of weeks ago. So it's a, it's a distance I train for a lot, but never really race. Oh, it's interesting. Cause yeah, I always had you pegged as more of an 815 guy part of it is just you're, you're pretty big you know most guys even for a 15 guy you're on the larger side and then going up to the 5k you probably stand out even more but that's interesting to hear sort of that's how you train for it. i guess it makes sense though being based in albuquerque at least for college yeah i think you know for me it's it's weird like you know when i was growing up i was obviously i was a, a bit of a unit a bit bigger as an individual but you know, I've, I've always seen it as a positive rather than a negative. You know, I'm able to have so much more power than, than smaller athletes. I'm able to go into the weight room and really work on that. And I feel like that's why I can close really well. That's why I can sprint really well naturally. Um, and yeah, I think it's, it's a topic that's spoken about a lot with me, I guess. Um, people are very interested in it. And, you know, at the top, you see a lot of skinny runners and you don't see a lot of people looking like me. Um, but I'm here to change that because, it's a lot of it's actually just perception. Like if someone, if someone, my, my size looks at the top, top of the world right now, they're like, huh, okay, I'm not built for this, but you are like 1500 meter runners, 5k runners, 800 meter runners can look like me and be the best in the world. And that's a full stop right there. So yeah, I think, uh, I'm very, I'm very interested in the topic and, and I just feel like I have a really big engine. I think that's what kind of allows me to have. And, you know, I joke around and say that in college, I'd, I arrived about 20, 25 pounds too heavy, but then I took it all off and it's like taking a weighted vest off. You're able to run a lot quicker. So no, it's, uh, but yeah, no, it's good. It's not really a topic I really care about too much that when people talk about it, but it's just like, 
I don't understand the, the, the side of like, oh, you can't be this good if you're overweight or if you're bigger or something like that. I don't think that really makes sense. I'm curious, you know, you talked about coming to the U.S. for college and stuff like that. Now you're based in the U.S. I mean, there was a thread on Let's Run, I think, last week or over the weekend. It was like, I think it was from a Brit. He's like, why doesn't anyone know who Josh Kerr is? And people are like, well, he trains in America. So can you explain what sort of what, what drew you here for college and then what made you stay here when you got out? Uh, if you want the short answer, the reason I came here for college is because I couldn't get into college in the UK because I'm not smart enough. And the way, reason I stayed is because there's a lot more money in the sport in the US. But to draw that out a little bit more, I think, you know, the, the facilities and the, um, the opportunities for athletes over here, the sport is taken a lot more seriously and there's a lot more money in it. Therefore, we get treated like professional athletes in college compared to what, you know, the UK system is. Um, and yeah, I, I, I did not have the academic scores to get into a good university in the UK. Um, I then had to obviously take the SAT and stuff to come in here. And, you know, I, I think, you know, I watched the likes of Chris O'Hare come over here and do, do what he did. And I was like, that's what I want to do. I think that's what the next step in my career is going to be. And then I didn't think I was coming out the year that I did. Brooks came up to me and offered me a fantastic deal with, with a fantastic company with a great coach. So, I mean, you can never turn that down. Um, I don't think I even got an offer from the UK. Uh, so, well, not one that interested me enough for uh, against the Brooks offer. So, yeah, I think, you know, I, I'm not against training or living in the UK at all. It's just these opportunities arise over here and, and you know, I'll, I'll grasp them with both hands when they when they come to me. How do you feel that you're covered by the media in the UK? Do you think, you know, being based in the US, you've been here for five years now. But I think as far as I can tell, I think you've only ever run one Diamond League. Uh, you know, obviously we had the pandemic last year, but... You know, do you feel like the British media, do you feel like you're undercover? Do you feel like they forget about you sometimes or do you think they're pretty fair to you? Uh, I don't really care, actually, to be honest. Like for me, like the media side of things and like the filming side of things, just kind of like it's not why I'm here. Um, you don't you don't get into an Olympic qualifying spot by a popularity contest. Um, so for me, it's like, you know, media, media is great. Media is great, um, for, you know, boosting your profile and, and it's great for the companies that sign you and stuff. But for me, it's not why I'm in this sport. So if, if someone's not going to give me an interview, I'm like, okay, perfect. I get an extra 20 minutes of rest today rather than, you know, sit, sitting doing a podcast. However, it, it is necessary. It's necessary for us to, to boost our profiles and boost our brands. Um, but yeah, I mean, people get really into it. You can see by my social media, I don't, I don't try very hard on there. It's not something that I'm here for. For me, I like my performances to be, speak for themselves. And when someone sees that my name's on a start list, they're like, wow, that's a really exciting race. I need to stand and watch that one. So that's, that's pretty much what I'm trying to do. And, and for the UK side of things, I think, you know, there's a couple of media people over there that I work with, um, that, that, that write stories when they, when they see necessary. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not like reaching out asking for, for any media right now or, or ever really. I just, I see it as like, it, it does get quite, um, tiring if you do it a lot. And so you kind of just bring it to like the most important ones or the ones that uh, make the most sense. And then you do that. And then for me, it's just, you know, go back do your job really oh we should be honored that we have you on the on the podcast this is the first thing i've done i'm not going to do like any other media stuff like you know i think it's great what you guys do so i'd love to come on this but if i'm going to sit on five or six podcasts for hours on end like that's going to take away from the way i race so yeah good good to hear i've been a fan for a long time and i was trying to think when it started i mean it was probably i mean 20 how could i forget 2017 i mean you go into ncaa's 
indoors that year. King Chaz was a god, and and you just destroyed him in in that mile. Can you take us back to your mindset? I mean, just from talking to you already for 10 minutes, it seems like you're extremely confident. But where does that come from? Is it from the training? Like, did you know going in NCAAs, hey, I'm in awesome shape. I can beat him. Like, what made you think that was possible? And what makes you think that, obviously, it sounds like an Olympic medal you think is possible? I think it comes from uh, the respect I have for myself and the respect I have for the training that I do. Um, I think people sometimes forget how hard you work and and in you know when you look back on the sessions and the what you give up and the sacrifices on a day to day I I never want to um be selfish to myself and in, in, in those opportunities where I can show off what I do and the reason that I do them I, I never shy away from from that and, and make sure that people know that I've been working hard. Um so for for back in, in twenty seventeen what I'll say is um I was I was naive like I, I'm not someone that looks into a lot of race results or looks into someone's splits or stats or whatever I heard he was really good and I spoke to my coach and I was like do you think I could beat him and he said yeah and that was probably the extent of our conversation uh, I raced the race that we had decided beforehand I went in and I executed it perfectly and uh, that was kind of all she wrote to be honest so yeah the way I look at racing is just having respect for the amount of training that I do um, I do really hard training we do distance work we do lots of long tempos in the sun we do a lot of sprinting and in the weight room and it's time consuming and i stand there after all my hard work and i'm going to say it's going to be worth it because i turn up and i race and i race really well so it's for me it's yeah it's just giving myself the respect that i'm due and uh i was i was created that way that's how my dad is how my brother is my brother's a professional rugby player over in the uk he has the same same kind of mentality um both of us are just there to to do our jobs and do it properly. That's what we were born and raised to do. And, and, uh, that's kind of more from my parents. Um, it's pretty much, you know, if you're, if you're going to do a job, you do it well and you do it properly. So in 2019, you were sixth in the world. I mean, you may not have gotten the fanfare, but, but I noticed it 332, just like a second and a quarter away from that silver medal. You've been working hard, I guess, for two, two years. Do you feel like you're a much better or a better runner now than then? I don't think it's I don't think the difference between sixth and third is gonna be better runner. Um and it's the same reason I got knocked out in the first round in seventeen and got sixth place in nineteen. It's experience at the event. Um you know, you've got all these college kids right now and and I can tell you some of them will make the Olympic team. Um but the mistakes that you make from your first Olympics or world championships if you're not learning from them, you're not going to make progress. And for me, I learned so much from London 2017, brought it to, to Doha in 2019 and had a much better performance. I did so many different things than I did in 17. And then from there, I learned so much again. So for me, I have now got two very good experiences at, at major events. And now I know what works for me and what doesn't. I have been working really hard and I, ha- I am fitter. It's shown that, you know, I can, I can go out in front run a 331. But for me, it's like, how do you get through the rounds? You know, when do you arrive at the event? How do you handle media? How do you handle your food? How do you handle the time change? You know, the weather, like all this stuff is just so important that you don't think about when you don't, have never been to an event like that. Can you give us an example of one thing maybe that you changed the biggest thing from 17 to 19 that you learned? So, yeah, this is quite interesting, actually. I never really came out and spoke about this, but I stayed on US time. Uh, the whole time I was in Doha. So I went to bed at 6 a.m. And, and woke up at like 2.30 p.m. every day. And so the reason that worked is because we, um, 
we raced at like 11 o'clock at night. And so when you're caffeinated and you're excited and you've got all this adrenaline, you've just raced the semifinal or the, or we went prelim semifinal, like two consecutive days. You're then home at 12, 31 AM. Everyone's like, Oh, I need to get to bed, but I've got all this caffeine in my system. I can't get to bed. I can't get to sleep till 4 AM anyway. Then they have to get up at eight. For me, I was like, well, this is the middle of the day for me. I can go back. I can have my lunch. I can have my dinner. Then I go to bed and then I go through that whole process. So it was well thought out. Um, and so we went into Doha like maybe four days before the event. But for London, I was in Fontainebleau for like three weeks training with people that I've never trained before and been in a place that I've never been before. Uh, then went into London, did all these like trying all these different nutrition stuff that British athletics were saying like, oh, you need to have protein like at this point. And I wasn't professional at this point. I was I was still at UNL. I was a college kid, so I didn't know much about nutrition. So I was trying all these different things and 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 training with all these different people who were my competitors. And yeah, it was uh, it was it was a tough setup for me. And, and it was something that I learned that this is not for me. Uh, and then I went into the first round of, of London, just kind of like bright, bright eyed and just uh, kind of. Fell, fell apart really um so from there we learned from that we did that stuff in doha we did lots of different stuff in that but that was kind of like a main thing and uh and it went very well so we we've kind of we've learned a lot and those are things you don't know until you do them and one thing you've got this year that you didn't have in 2019 is i guess topic of the um, I, people think i'm obsessed with it is, is the super spikes how much do you think the new spikes are worth in terms of time and i was talking to jonathan before we started i'm like look he was only a second away. If he had the super spikes, he would have medaled in 2019. But then Jonathan pointed out, well, two guys that did beat you in that race didn't have them either. But <laughs> how much do you think they're worth, if anything? Uh, look, I mean, I train I train constantly in my Brooks spikes. I train constantly in my Hyperion Elite 2s. You know, I genuinely don't know. I Like for me... You know, Brooks are trying to bring out uh, a new spike and I trust them 100%. But for me, it's just, you know, racing's racing. I've, I've worked hard. I've gone from 332.5 to 331.5. And I can tell you there's a whole lot of work in between. And so, no, I don't. I, I generally don't think it's, I don't think it's that, no. <laughs> All right. Well, we said we'd keep it to about 20 minutes. I, I think we're a little over, but I want to hit you with two quick Quick hit is it before we go. So go for it. One hawker on a goose at NCAA's. Uh, Nagoose because I would love for the record holder to win NCAA's. Oh yeah, I feel like that's something that was you broke the record in 2018 and you got beat at NCAA's. So that's uh, it's a hard thing to do, but Nagoose is a fantastic athlete. All those guys are running really well, so it's going to be a fun race to watch. I'm excited, but uh, I, I'd go for Nagoose. Yeah. And then the other thing I was going to ask, are, are you a football fan? I I follow the sport, I would say. I wouldn't say I'm a fan, but I follow the sport. Okay, because I was going to ask about England versus Scotland next week at the Euros. This is a huge game in our home, you know, in the United Kingdom. Give me a prediction. Uh, I mean, we're we're bad. We're 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 not great. Um, but yeah, I'm always going to back my country to the end of the year. So you know, I'll back Scotland, and I tell you what, it'll be a hell of a party if it uh, if it if it comes through. So yeah, I I I'm going to say a little little two one victory from the Scots. Oh wow, that would be. I mean, that would be devastating. I think I've actually seen messages like Scotland fans, unless they have a ticket to the game, have been instructed not to come to London. But <laughs> I'm I'm doubtful that that'll actually. That's happen. not going to happen now. <laughs> 
I'm going to ask for predictions about the rest of the year. I mean, the Olympics, I got to ask, what's the goal there? I think I think it's I think it's a pretty obvious goal. I've been in the sport for for twelve years, thirteen years now, and uh, there's only one goal that's been in mind, and and that's the Olympic gold. So, you know, I've shown I've shown what I can do um, running solo. I've shown what I can do at World Championship, and for me, it's it's time to kind of put that together and and kind of uh, come come out with the dream gold. So that's my that's my big goal. Yeah, I, I think uh, if you're not going into the Olympics thinking you're going to win, then you're doing something wrong. Well, we look forward to watching you there. And, and any, any plans between the trials and the Olympics? Are you going to hop in a diamond league or pretty much hole up and train? I'm not sure. I'm, I'm a guy that likes to race when he's ready. Uh, if you hadn't realized already, I, uh, when, when you see me on a start line, you know I'm going to be ready to race. So if I'm racing in between, uh, then I'll be ready to race real fast. But for me, fast times mean nothing and, and it's all about the medals. So whatever can get me to the best place for, uh, for Tokyo. So I'm not sure yet. All right, Josh. Well, Thanks so much for joining us. Yo, best of luck at the British Trials and uh, hopefully in Tokyo if, if you uh, make the team. Thank you very much. Cheers, guys. The Let's Run.com summer training program is back better than ever. Last year, someone signed up, got a full ride to college a few months later. Whether you're a high school or a college or an adult, we can get you in shape. And we're now offering it free of charge to all annual supporter club members sign up today let's run.com slash coaching if you're already a vip just email us coaching at let's run.com coaching at let's run.com and we'll get you your training program also get your picks in in the ncaa prediction contest sponsored by on pick your top three and you can win some cool on prizes and hey we'll throw in a let's run.com shirt as well it's pretty easy. You don't even have to know much about NCAs. We've got a guide for you to do it. The Road to the Trials is sponsored by onamletsrun.com, and so is our NCAA prediction contest. Get your picks in now.